If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and in this episode, we're continuing our conversation about breastfeeding. August is Breastfeeding Awareness Month by delving into the cultural aspects of breastfeeding. According to a study out of the UK conducted by Dr. Amy Brown at the University of Swansea, quote, there is indication that several socio-cultural themes influence a mother's decision to breastfeed, unquote. These include sexual connotations, fear of breast milk as a bodily fluid, religious beliefs, poor acceptance of breastfeeding in public, family influences and beliefs, work-related issues, and income. The conclusion of this study and of our guests today is that more education is needed to help parents make informed choices with regard to breastfeeding versus formula feeding. Today, we talk about that with Dr. Tara Williams, general academic pediatrician and breastfeeding medicine specialist based in Orlando, and Karina Chara. She is a site coordinator in the emergency department at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Delaware. She's also co-lead of the Adelante Associate Resource Group. Between the three women on this podcast, myself included, we have breastfed our own respective children, nine in total. That's lots of experience on the podcast today. And since we're talking about the cultural aspects of breastfeeding, let's check in to see how breastfeeding is viewed culturally, in general, here in the U.S. Here's Dr. Tara Williams. So I'm happy to report that breastfeeding has become more accepted here in the United States. We still very much are a bottle feeding culture. And there are a lot of historical reasons for that, but more and more people are becoming aware of breastfeeding and more and more moms, as we see in our numbers with initiation, are at least starting to breastfeed in the hospitals before they go home. The challenge we face is really helping to sustain breastfeeding and meeting our goal of six months of exclusive breastfeeding. And six months is the goal. Karina, can you speak to culturally worldwide, both in the West and across the East as well? Sure. So I was born and raised in in Mexico. And I just know for my experience, my introduction to breastfeeding was a little bit skewed because it was always associated with pain and shame. And so when I had kids, I never thought or considered that that would be an option for me um, because of the way I grew up. I know that in other parts of the world, it's almost like the only choice. But um, because of the society that I grew up and almost kind of like learning from what other people were doing and the comments and, and the community I was raised, I was contemplated not going that route and just go straight to bottle because it was perceived easiest um, 
less painful and also more accommodating for others in the room. So I think that's still true in some areas, but certainly like Dr. Williams was saying is is getting definitely more visibility and acknowledgement as one of the best alternatives for your baby. What were some of the comments or the stigmas or the signals you picked up as you were growing up that breastfeeding was maybe painful or something not to pursue? Well, I don't think I witnessed anybody breastfeeding around me. So I think that was the first cue as if that's something that you don't do in public or at all. And it wasn't until I was introduced to a breastfeeding uh, or lactation consultant that opened the possibility and educated me on, on my options. But I initially thought, well, I never seen it. My mom never taught me about it. And my friends certainly don't do it. And they mentioned that it's painful and nobody else talks about it. So I can assume that it's a no-go. So just by example, you had never seen anyone do it. It yeah. really hadn't been spoken of in a very positive way. Dr. Williams, culturally throughout the world, is this an issue in certain parts of the world as opposed to others, in certain cultures as opposed to others? What are your thoughts on the cultural support for breastfeeding worldwide? Definitely varies by country. So if you grow up in Israel, everyone breastfeeds. It's the norm. It's the expectation. In the hospital, they're going to really support you. And because you grow up with generations of women breastfeeding and when you go outside into the market and wherever you are, the airport, everyone's breastfeeding, you understand it as the cultural norm. And so you're going to breastfeed. Brazil had a remarkable cultural shift where they really were a bottle feeding culture. And through advocacy and just education, they have really shifted to now where more than 90 percent of Brazilian moms are initiating and continuing to breastfeed, certainly in places where there is less access to formula, you have higher rates of breastfeeding. So yes, we definitely see a difference depending on the cultural norms and also whether or not formula marketing is regulated according to the WHO code. Talk a little bit about that. Formula and breastfeeding seem to compete for various mothers' attentions as they are pregnant and considering what's best for their baby. And we had this happen in the United States just recently where we had this shortage of formula and everyone just said, well, go in breastfeed. It's not quite that simple. It's really a complicated issue, isn't it, Dr. Williams? Mentioning the World Health Organization, the WHO code of marketing on breast milk substitutes, the United States is the only member country of the World Health Assembly that did not sign on to the WHO code. And we know that a lot of how we eat in America in general is influenced by commercial marketing. And that is very true with infant formula. It's a $50 billion business. You know, any business that wants to stay in business, their purpose is to sell their product. And so they want to market their product. The challenge is that the way the product is marketed is not necessarily regulated to always reflect scientific fact. So as you see with this formula shortage, a lot of parents are just confused about what formula can I even use for my child because there's just so many options that are marketed. This formula for the fussy baby, this formula for the breastfed baby, this formula for the this baby and the that baby. And there's 500 different labels on the formula. And it's very confusing not only to the lay public, but even to providers, especially those that don't routinely take care of children. And so helping to guide families through that can be challenging. Are they still allowed to give new moms formula when they are in the hospital to take home with them? 
So interestingly, that is very state and hospital specific. So I came from Ohio prior to moving to Florida and in the institution where I worked, it was baby friendly designated. And so they were not allowed to give the free samples to moms because we know that there's a strong correlation with receiving that free sample and interfering with mom's self-confidence with breastfeeding. And so coming to Florida, I did note that many of our birthing hospitals in the community were not baby friendly. And so a lot of moms were being sent home with formula samples. And in fact, talking to some of my trainees that do their nursery rotation at these hospitals, in some cases, it felt like the formula was even pushed on the mommies, even if the mommies expressed their interest and desire was to breastfeed. So it's still an issue. It's really easy to give up. And breastfeeding is not as intuitive. Even for myself, it was not intuitive as one might think. It's really easy to give up and say, just mix the formula and that's that. So it's very tempting with those samples that come home. Corinna, you mentioned that you grew up and didn't see people breastfeeding and your mom didn't breastfeed. Talk about the importance of having partner support and education, maternal support and education, having that lactation consultant so that you could overcome some of the things that you had learned growing up and some of the barriers that you were facing? I think when I was pregnant, I focused so much into giving birth and having the nursery ready and picking the right name that I don't think we emphasize a lot of the education related to expectations. Growing up, like I said, I didn't see people around me. And it wasn't until I had my daughter, my mom actually opened up about the topic and say, oh, yeah, it, it used to be very painful for me as well. And she was sharing some of her stories and made me connect with her in a way that we never, I mean, it was not a topic that we talk about, period. My husband was extremely supportive. He asked me, what is it that we wanted to do? And going back to the hospital environment, they truly pushed for breastfeeding to the point that I was convinced that they were trying to force it. But truly, they were trying to make me believe that it will work and it will take a little bit of time. Um, so having that resource, that expert person next to you was a life changer for me because it, it just gave me a little more confidence. At the end of the day, before we left the hospital, I remember one of the doctors said, this child is hungry. Please, let's feed this baby. doesn't matter which way. Let's focus on mom and give her that comfort to recover and to keep practicing. And I just remember it was a rough journey. And I was texting and calling the lactation consultant constantly because I was like, is this normal? What about this? Is this normal? The baby's still crying. It's definitely a lot of stress. And knowing who to call and knowing that in this case, like I mentioned, my husband was extremely supportive and he will wake up at night and help me with the feedings and just making sure that we were keeping everyone safe. Um, it was definitely a team effort for what I can remember during those first days that are very critical and very chaotic. And then I have to say that is just such a learning and, you know, a beautiful journey that for the second kid, you're like, okay, I got this. Although the experience could be completely different, at least you have one side of the story and gives you even more confidence to keep pushing along during those first days where everything is so, so overwhelming. I just wanted to comment. Karina mentioned that physician that came in 
and said, you know, it doesn't matter what she feeds and we're here to support mom. And I know that position was well-meaning, but knowing what I know now, because my journey was very similar to Karina's and even during medical school and residency, we learned nothing about human milk feeding and the importance of it. And the science is so clear now. The data is clear. No one can debate it. And our job as healthcare providers is to inform. It's not to make decisions for people, but to inform. And it is very, it breaks my heart to hear that that was the message Karina got because it does make a difference. And thankfully, she pressed on and she continued to ask for help. But what another mom might have heard is, oh, my milk is really not good enough and I really can't do this. And so I need to use this formula. Oh, yeah. And so there's this side of failure that never leaves your brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, because everything happens so fast and so intense, you want to quit every single time you're unable to do it. And this is where the support system comes into play. And I wouldn't have been able to do it for the amount of time I did it if it wasn't because I had the breastfeeding support, not just the lactation consultant, but like a breastfeeding community that I found. And my family was very supportive. And it wasn't until like the second child where I was a little more open about it and just feed the baby without any shame type of thing. I'm hearing the word confidence a lot, and it seems like the support system, the education goes to help the woman who is breastfeeding find that confidence. Dr. Williams, would you say that's a a fair assessment? 200%. Because again, we live in a culture where people don't know what is normal infant feeding, as in the physiologic infant feeding, because breastfeeding is not the norm. And so a lot of times moms really just don't know what is normal and they don't have the confidence to know that they really can do this. And, and as, a, as a physician mom, I will say I have five children, but it wasn't until my fifth child that I exclusively breastfed to six months and continued to breastfeed. And he self-weaned at 22 months, but it took that learning and experience. And that's what drives my passion because I never want another mom to face what I faced with my first child, where there was no healthcare provider who even talked about the importance of how I fed my child, who never encouraged breastfeeding. I had a family who never breastfed. I was the first. My grandmother clearly thought that breastfeeding was kind of gross. And so having to face that challenge was difficult and did um, impact my confidence. But with each experience and learning more and more and knowing what I know now about human milk feeding, it is incredibly important for our moms and babies and for our communities that everyone gain this information and that moms get supported to have the confidence that they can feed the babies. Less than 2% of moms do not have the ability to produce and feed their babies their human milk. Let's take a look at specific cultures. Just within the U.S. population, are there cultural differences in the approach to breastfeeding? Karina? Oh, absolutely. I think there's definitely more information in the U.S. for what I can compare. Um, At least in Mexico, it's more you get options, right? So you can do this or you can do that. And a lot of misinformation where I think here in the U.S. is more common to approach a breastfeeding community or find a support group that you can connect with and it's very rare still although it's kind of developing at, at least in Mexico just learning from my friends who have reached out to me and ask about breastfeeding what are you doing it's all about giving the right information and then also providing the resources through uh, what I would say you know just 
first months of life of your little one, they're so critical and also very, very chaotic. So many things are happening. And this is one variable that could be controlled with the right support that I have seen more and more in the hospitals and also within the community. Dr. Williams, real quick question about community support groups. How important are they? And is there evidence that online support groups have also been beneficial to people who are breastfeeding? Absolutely. Just having that support is key. And I think during the pandemic, really, the online support groups took off tremendously and provided support in a way that we never maybe even thought about before. So for moms who didn't have access to transportation or it was just challenging to get out of the house because they may have other toddlers or children in the home or for single moms who don't have someone to watch the other kids, the online support has opened up tremendous access. It's not quite the same as being there with the other moms and being able to even weigh the babies where some of the lactation counselors who lead support groups can do that. But still, it's it's just saying, yes, you can. <laughs> Believe in yourself and yes, you can do this. And so having other women sharing those same experiences and struggles normalizes it for you. And you realize, oh, hey, this is normal. I'm not terrible. <laughs> now, Dr. Williams, according to the National Institute of Children's Health Quality, Latino and Hispanic families are more likely than others to use formula in the first two days of life in African-American families have the lowest rates of breastfeeding initiation and continued breastfeeding among all ethnic and racial groups. How can these disparities be addressed so that we increase the number of parents breastfeeding from the very beginning? Well, Carol, certainly there are multiple factors that contribute to this. My passion, as you know, is education and educating, especially not just families themselves, but the healthcare providers who are caring for these families so that they're educated and equipped to empower moms to know that colostrum is enough for your baby and you don't need to practice low dose. You can just give your baby that colostrum. Your baby only needs a teaspoon of colostrum in that first day of life. It's okay. We just want to encourage you to continue to breastfeed so that your milk comes in. And for our African-American moms, there have been many barriers. We know in a recent study done in Mississippi looked at in the hospital, they weren't doing skin to skin with the African-American moms. And when they asked the nurses, the response they got was, well, they don't ask to do skin to skin. And when they implemented the baby friendly steps where you do skin to skin in that first hour of life and everyone was treated equally in terms of just having the same protocol, we saw huge increases in initiation of breastfeeding and continued breastfeeding in Mississippi. And that's going to eventually translate to lower rates of infant mortality for all babies in Mississippi, but especially for African-American babies in Mississippi. I feel like there's a lot of shame when the breastfeeding activity happens, right? Like if you're by yourself and you're at your house and you're like the coffee chair you bought for the nursery room, it's, it's nice and quiet, but you're typically out and about. You potentially have another kid. You have commitments. And I think that's where hesitation, at least from how I grew up, is that you don't show your even your shoulder. I mean, I remember growing up without even wearing any shorts. I mean, I have three brothers older than me and the simple thought of breastfeeding in a room when they were near, like it was really hard to digest. Also for them too, like I remember they would leave the room and they pretend that I was not there <laughs> if I was breastfeeding. And it just makes it easier to think that if you have a bottle, then it's just all of a sudden easier for everybody. 
It is quite amusing to me because I went out to eat here in Cleveland while I'm visiting my new grandbaby. And there were a lot of breasts out on the street and none of them were breastfeeding. But we do live in a culture where breasts are very sexualized. And so the idea that breasts are actually created for feeding, it's not part of our culture. And until that changes, there will sort of be that stigma that moms may feel. And again, my experience was that, yeah, with my first child, I never went out in public to breastfeed her. With my fifth one, I didn't care who was around. I mean, I was very modest about it. But part of that is that confidence to be like, this is the norm. And I mean, you're not going to tell me to go to a bathroom to feed my child because that's just unclean. And so until we have cultural changes across our society, that will continue to be a challenge. But slowly but surely, we're, we're knocking away at that. One of the ways that we definitely need to improve our support is to diversify our lactation support teams, especially for, let's say, a mom who English is not her first language, finding other moms in the community who can communicate with her or healthcare providers or lactation consultants who can communicate with her in her language makes a huge difference. For many African-American moms, trying to find a lactation consultant or any breastfeeding specialist of color is very, very challenging. We know that we're working towards the goal of really diversifying the lactation field so that we have more culturally concordant care and support because it is important and it makes a difference. Speaking of cultural challenges, Dr. Williams, you noted that you breastfed your youngest for 22 months, so almost to two years. What is the reason that people do not breastfeed into toddlerhood and what are the benefits of breastfeeding into toddlerhood? Lots of reasons. Again, we have a hard time in our culture even getting moms to exclusivity to six months. And so we celebrate those that are able to meet their own personal breastfeeding goals. Lots of barriers. One is lack of paid maternity leave. We have to get back to work. A lot of times you have to get back to work. It's between six to 12 weeks. It takes about six weeks for that milk supply to be established. And it's really challenging especially if you're working in a hourly wage job to have pump breaks and continue to pump to maintain your milk. Breastfeeding past a year, it has not been the norm in the U.S. And so culturally, people might think it's weird. And so the mommies who were feeding past a year felt a lot of that shame, even more than feeding their infants in public. Trying to feed a toddler in public was like a big no-no. It's been the stance of the World Health Organization that breastfeeding to two years is the recommendation. I'm very excited that the American Academy of Pediatrics in their newest update has now endorsed breastfeeding to two years. We know that the benefits for the baby are tremendous, but even more so, breastfeeding past a year is really more beneficial for the mom. The reduction in breast cancer risk is incredible, up to two times the reduction in risk. The reduction in risk for ovarian cancer, reduction in risk for cardiovascular disease, reduction in risk for osteoporosis postmenopause. It is hugely beneficial for the mom in addition to the baby and really more so for the mom the longer the mom breastfeeds. One thing I will share is that it's really important to get families on board. I shared that my grandmother really thought breastfeeding was gross and, you know, later came to find out she had a history of um, being sexually abused as a child. But a lot of that trauma will impact how people view breast and breastfeeding and, again, being in a culture where breasts are very sexualized. Um, but so involving the families, educating, we know especially for, well, for all moms, but in the African-American culture, having dad support, having mom support, having auntie support, having that community support, hugely important. So involving the family when I do the education, I love to see grandma's eyes light up when I say that these are the benefits for mom. These are the benefits for baby. And here are the risks. We know that when you feed your baby cow's milk, 
which is what formula is made of, there are risks involved when you're feeding milk from a different animal species to your human infants. The best milk for human infants is human milk. Along the same lines, there's certainly some tensions around stop breastfeeding if you're going back to work or there's this six months limit, like a minimum, and then you're all done and good to go. I certainly believe there's more information about the benefits of being in a workplace where breaks are allowed and um, it's also baby friendly, right? So it is a topic that is encouraged. And if you have a male boss, for instance, it shouldn't be a taboo topic and you should talk about it and ask for those breaks to pump and feed your baby. Many people say, well, you're going back to work, so I'm going to just stop breastfeeding now. If we're assuming that the workplace doesn't support that um, or the certain lifestyle will not support that. And, and I do think finding that community and that support will allow a beautiful breastfeeding journey. One of my favorite stories to share is I had a mom who worked at McDonald's who had never breastfed. No one in her family had breastfed. One of my pediatric residents who came from a culture where breastfeeding was the norm, talked to her about the benefits and how wonderful it was. She delivered in a hospital that was baby friendly. So she already knew she had initiated breastfeeding and had started some form of supplementation. And he counseled her and supported her. We showed her how to latch the baby. She left latching that baby. And her boss, who happened to be male, who was the manager at McDonald's, his wife had just recently had twins and was pumping. And so he was very supportive. He would give her his office to pump in. And she breastfed that baby to a year and subsequently had another child who, you know, she just breastfed. And so the culture changed. And I'll say in my family, I now have two granddaughters. And the first one is going to be 17 months and she is still breastfeeding. And my new one that's just a week old has exclusively breastfed since birth and is off to a wonderful start. So we're starting a whole new generation of breastfeeding mamas in our family. Dr. Tara Williams is a general academic pediatrician and breastfeeding medicine specialist based in Orlando. She was joined in conversation by Karina Chara, site coordinator in the emergency department of the Nemours Children's Hospital in Delaware and co-lead of the Adelante ARG. Though we are in the thick of summer, we are booking podcast guests to record in September for release in October and November. Still a few slots left, so if you'd like to tell your Nemours story, just email us your ideas at podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Thanks to our production team for their support, Peter Adebi, Allison Kraft, Deborah Griffin, and Savannah Pettit. Special thanks this week to Lavisha Peles for her help with the breastfeeding episodes. Listen to the podcast anywhere on your favorite podcast app, your smart speaker, Nemoursnet, and the Nemours Now app. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. On behalf of Dr. Tara Williams and Karina Chara, I'm Carol Vassar, and we thank you for listening to this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children and families we serve. <laughs>